Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Private Yoga Power Hour. I'm here today with my friend Ellie McMillan and we are talking about all sorts of ins and outs about moving from being a studio owner into being a solo teacher, what 200-hour teacher trainings look like and how they are changing and evolving over the last few years and last few decades. And we're also talking about some different conversations around leading private sessions and scarcity mindset, how that can come into play, and really just having a catch-up combo since it's been a little while since Ellie and I have hopped on the phone. So Ellie, welcome. Thanks so much for chatting with us, and thanks for taking some time in the new year to let us know what you're up to. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So I would love to just start with hearing a little bit about your personal yoga business evolution and where you've started, where you've evolved to and where you are spending your efforts and your time right now. Okay. Um, as you were saying that, I, this word that popped into my head and it was like, it was resourceful. And I think that um, that's probably the theme over the last decade is, is being resourceful. Um, I started teaching about seven years ago and uh, I didn't take no for an answer whenever I started teaching. and for that matter right now and a lot of that, a lot of that was just like um, whenever I graduated my teacher training I really wanted to be a full-time teacher and I had someone in the training who was part of the leaders that said like you know good luck with being a full-time teacher and I sort of put my hands on my hips and throw my brow and was like I'll show you uh, I feel like we have so many parallels in our story <laughs> because same <laughs> I love it. Seriously, though. <laughs> um, and so I started to, you know, look at the teaching, I think, from a very different perspective than some of the other graduates did, which was, how can I make this a sustainable business? Or how can I make this um, something that, if I love it this much, that I can do all the time? Even if that means that I have, you know, side jobs or side gigs or anything like that, that what else can I do? Um, to treat this really like a business instead of like, oh, Saturday mornings, I'm just going to like get up and teach a yoga class, which is exactly what it's like, but, you know, it, yoga classes just don't fall into your lap. <laughs> Sometimes they do. <laughs> At this point, they didn't. Um, so I first started teaching out in Vancouver, BC, which I absolutely loved. And then a few years later, my love decided that uh, she wanted to go back to school. And so we moved halfway across the country to a small town in Ontario called Perth. And uh, I was sort of uprooted and really I had to figure out, like, had to find my sea legs in the, in the yoga teacher sea again. And the little town that we moved to, uh, had one yoga studio, which I actually thought was a joke coming from Vancouver, BC. I was like, oh, weird, like, Google is just not giving me enough results. <laughs> <laughs> and there really was only one yoga studio there. There's a couple of teachers there that teach sort of like um, out of homes or in community centers, and, and it's really like it's super grassroots, which was awesome. And I went from like, you know, yoga studios where they had people you know, like front desk staff and like saunas and many showers and you know treatments to like literally teaching in a church basement um, which was very humbling and figuring out how 
to do that? How do, like, how do you teach in a church basement where people don't even know that you're teaching there? They don't know who, they, they don't know who you are. <laughs> they don't know that they need yoga or that they want yoga even. And how do you get them to come to class? Um, and so this is where part of that resourcefulness comes in. And then um, through teaching that and really wanting a home base, which was <clears throat> a big um, theme for me, uh, I ended up opening up a yoga studio with uh, a, a very good friend of mine. And um, we had this amazing space for the last three and some years. And we just actually decided um, to let it go. To we, It was sold to one of the girls that came to our studio as a brand new yogi, did a 30-day challenge, went through our teacher training, and is now the new studio owner, which is so amazing. So it kind of brings me to present day of um, something that I said before is I thought that, you know, I had this kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, linear plan of how I would move forward, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, what ended up happening is it exploded into a million little pieces and I decided that uh, it was an opportunity for me to only pick and choose the things that I actually wanted to keep and actually wanted to do moving forward from being a studio owner. And I kind of had a midlife crisis a little bit, like, what do I say now? I'm no longer a studio owner. <laughs> mm -hmm. Who am I? What do I do? <laughs> so that's sort of where we are present day. Right now I'm teaching uh, a couple of different things. I teach public classes in a few studios, and although they, I love public classes, they're not like, my driving force, they're not, um, they're, they're a source uh, uh, to be able to teach people um, more about their own personal practice, possibly through private yoga, definitely through workshops, um, teaching teachers, inspiring them to find their true teachings, and hosting retreats, mostly right now urban retreats, one day get away in the city, be free, bring this home with you. That's great. That's great. So a follow-up question about the studio. I think that, you know, I think we've gotten better as an industry about thinking that the only path to making a living in the yoga world is to own a studio. But I still think that exists somewhat. Do you feel like that is still a belief out there? Um, do you feel like there's more clout to people that are owning studios and people kind of look at them as more premier yoga business owners or kind of what's your take around that? Oh, um, I think I, you know what I think this, I think that studios are so fantastic for, um, for having home bases. And twofold to this, I think that you have to have um, the right teachers, and I'm going to say right in, in um, quotations, teachers that really align with your vision, mm -hmm. who really jive with your students, and that's sort of what makes the studio what it is. So that I'm going to use the word, I'm going to come back to this like clout, and then um, on top of that, I think that, well, first of all, I think that being a studio owner means that you kind of have to have a little, like, wild in your eyes, <laughs> <laughs> like, um, heat in your pants. <laughs> um, but I think that, no, I don't, I don't think it gives you a lot more cloud. I'm really, like, I'm, 
you are, the studio is this entity. Let's put it this way. The studio is this third. It's like when people get married and then their marriage is this third. That's the entity that we're talking about. Everything that gets put into the studio is that what makes the studio what it is. The, identi the identifier that I um, had was, oh, I no longer have that third as my primary. I now go, okay, I'm back to being who I am. And I, you know, am more free to move within those, those third dynamics. Does that answer your question? Yeah, no, I think that's great. Do you, um, following up on that, like from a studio setting, I know you work with people privately, and before we hopped on the call, we were talking about how you've been building up your teaching practice, your private teaching practice. One of the things that I think that I get a lot of questions about is, how do I find more private clients? And one of my answers is always, you should be teaching group classes, if that's of interest to you, as a funnel for working with people individually that are ready to take that next step. What is your philosophy around that? And I guess the second part of that is, as a studio owner, a lot of times that can feel controversial for people that I'm explaining that to because they feel like that's not the arrangement that's been set up in the studio. Like those students are not theirs. Like they're theirs to teach, but they're not theirs to then offer additional offerings to. Mm -hmm. Topic, but I would just love your take on that a little bit and where you tend to be on either side of that spectrum or, you know, kind of what you've, you've noticed from being a studio owner for, quite a few years and that whole dynamic? I think that um, before I owned a studio, I had a very like cut and dry view of this. And then after, um, like in the process of owning a studio, I had another um, perspective that was very kind of fluid. And now post-studio, post um, I'm, I'm still in that studio fluidity, and this is what it is, is that before I, I really thought like, um, I didn't really think twice. Approaching a, a student is going to be different. Now let's talk about that. Let's compartmentalize that for just another, for a second. But approaching students or talking about um, teaching um, private classes or private yoga outside of the studio didn't necessarily bother me because I felt like it was this, um, I didn't feel like it was stepping on anybody's toes, anybody's toes, let's say that. But I do see that as a studio owner, how it can step on people's toes, but not just step on people's toes or step on the studio's toes, but how it can be awkward and not, and feel yucky to the teacher whose primary goal is to really get into the head and the body and the, let's say, even the spirit of the student that you're teaching. And if you've got this, like, conscience floating around of how you got that client, it can feel terrible. Mm -hmm. And so as teachers, uh, excuse me, whenever we had the studio, what we did is we encouraged our students to offer private yoga and to use the studio. And there was a way that they could use the studio. It was either via split or it was via um, rental of the studio. And of course it had to be during times that the studio wasn't um, being used. And the best place for us <clears throat> was for them to be in the studio because we had all the supplies and it was a safe space. And um, it was like, it's a gorgeous space to be in. Mm -hmm. um, so that was, that was one way that we approached it. And then um, they also were able to offer, and I still 
encourage this, and I think that we might talk about this a little later, um, exchange. And when we offered exchange, we said that it, it really needed to feel aligned for you, and that that could be either at somebody else's house or, or a different setting or whatever. But um, the students of the studio was, um, and in, in approaching them in a private way, was really um, kind of open-ended in a lot of ways. We wanted to be a part of that communication, so it didn't have to feel yucky to everyone. You know what I mean? And then post um, post owning a studio, I am I'm still in that headspace of I want it to feel really good and fluid. And so the way that I'm approaching private yoga now as an independent contractor is um, I talk about it in classes. And sometimes I talk about it in the sense of uh, something that I did with a client, some, some epiphany that happened uh, with a client that is associated with the class that we're doing, or um, you know, I, you know, something that feels really like natural and organic to bring it up in conversation. And then if students approach me outside of the studio, then that is an outside of the studio, let's say, contract, and if people uh, approach me in the studio, then that's an in-the-studio contract. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that, so one of the things, as you were talking about this, that I thought about that I hadn't thought of before, even as somebody who was, you know, part of a yoga studio for a long time, was that I think that a lot of the constructs of how the studio is set up would lead into what would be appropriate or not when you're teaching. Um, one of the things that I thought about right away was, as a studio owner, if you are taking the majority of the onus to market and fill up classes for teachers, then for a teacher then to find a client in that class and then take that client elsewhere could feel a lot different than if you had it set up as a studio owner that your teachers were, you know, had businesses and brands and were coming in and teaching and bringing clients and attracting clients and filling classes and then finding, you know, continuing long-term relationships with clients in one-on-one ways or in workshops and retreats and things like that. So it really kind of reminds me that, back to what you said about the studio, that it really needs to feel like the people that are working at the studio are a good fit for that space and vice versa, and that there's a lot of fluidity happening among the people that are working together. Mm-hmm. And really, like, the communication about it all, because I always wondered, you know, previous to owning a studio, I always wondered, like, is this something that I can really bring up with some of the studios that I was teaching for? And I realized that sometimes we're just not ta- we're not having those conversations. And then the studio might not even know to have those conversations because potentially they haven't had this situation before. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Because, we had, because I had people approach me... Um, previously uh, working in other studios so when we opened I was like okay let's put let's put something into play that feels really good for our for our teachers and you know this like I said the studio being this third part of the I think part of the problem is this is energy exchange so like if the studio says okay now you this client approached you in our studio and now we're going to take more than half of that because this is our private policy or whatever, you know, like whatever the, the the monetary exchange is in that way. It feels sort of icky, I think, for the teacher to be like, well, they approached me in my class and, um, you know, 
it's because they like my teaching, I could take this elsewhere, whatever, like any number of things can come up. And I really wanted it to be, you know what, if, this, if the teacher, if the student is approaching you as the teacher wants you to teach them, then that's, that needs to be like compensated or honored in a, in a really great way. Because otherwise, that's maybe not something that the studio would have the privilege of being able to do. Mm -hmm. Do you think that post-studio ownership, do you think that if you were to return and start teaching within a studio, do you think you would teach somewhere that had a policy where you, you know, you weren't able to develop longer-term relationships with clients. I mean, I know we, in the yoga business world, in the business world period, we're talking a lot about email lists and getting people's information, things like that. Where would you fall on that spectrum now? I mean, because you're on both sides. I mean, you've seen both sides, and so you probably can see the benefit for each person in each arrangement. Um, yeah. So where, where do you think your comfort level would be in teaching in a space would you expect them to have a policy about private lessons similar to one that you had at your space? Would you, you know, want to be able to collect emails? Would you need that in exchange to teach there for your business? Where would you, what are your thoughts around that? Um, so a part of the explosion that, like, I got to grab whatever pieces that felt really aligned for me was to approach teaching at studios very differently than I had ever before. And before I would go like, oh, this studio looks nice. Like, let's go see if they need a teacher. Well, maybe they do, maybe they don't. And now what I'm doing is is a couple of things. I'm going to call it like market research. Sometimes <laughs> the, the yoga world is very small. Um, and I'm aligning with studios that have similar values or like, I'm going to call this like business drive that I do. But business drive is just like, they want to move forward or they want to expand, not like in a, in a you know, their place gets bigger, but they want to, you know, continue to build on the, thing, the foundation that they laid the last time instead of just always being stagnant or always being in that scarcity um, mindset. And so what I did is I started to ask around at a couple of um, studios about, from people that work there, like, you know, do, do you love working there? What do you love about working there? And there's one studio in particular that I was like, oh, man, I totally would love. They have a beautiful space. It's I've done workshops there. It's gorgeous. And um, I asked a couple of people, and the dynamic just doesn't align with what it is that I want to put out there. And I was like, okay, I, I just, the, you know, the pretty yoga room is not going to, it's only going to take you so far. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I, I keep coming back to like, this is going to become a relationship talk. We're talking about marriage and like, you know, dating people. <laughs> you know, like looks can only get you so far. It's true. You know, a really nice date can only get you so far. Gifts can only get you so far. If there's this underlying thing that is just not aligning with you, it's just like you're not going to be super happy about that. Mm-hmm. And that is something that um, completely changed because I was like, no, you know what? I should really like this place. It's pretty or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. They've got great props. <laughs> they have a huge student base. No, that's not what I. That's not really what I care about. I care about the people that are there, that are going to be in my class, that are fulfilling me um, as I'm teaching them. And there's this like there's this real exchange in class. Like they're there to learn, and I'm there to teach. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, I think 
you know, that intention behind where we're teaching and how we're teaching, it's, it's almost, I mean, I think it's like the new, it's a new wave of, you know, consciousness around how we're teaching, but it doesn't always start off that way. You know, in our 200 hour, it's, we're just trying to grasp the basics and we want to do well and we want to understand sequencing and we want to learn how the body works. And so it can feel like, I know for me, when I was in my 200 hour, I, had a clear idea of what I wanted to do, but I also felt like I I didn't yet know what all of those qualifiers were. Um, mm-hmm. I know you're you have a lot of experience in teaching teachers. Do you do you find that that's something that comes from experience of teaching? Does it come for some people during the 200 hour? Um, you know, where do you feel like that unfolds for people? Yeah. Um... In the teacher training, I tell people, so part of the requirement for the training is that they have to take, I think it's 15 classes during the 200 hours. Um, and I say to them, like, go and take classes that you think that you would never um, go to. Go to teachers that you, you're like, I would never go to their class mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, because that's going to teach you about what it is that you want more of. It's like going into, like you buy a new house and you go to other people's, you shop around at people's houses and you're like, ooh, that paint color, I would never have that in my house. That's what you're doing. You're just starting to create almost like a a portfolio for yourself. And so um, I have taught men, (laughs) as you said that I thought of this time, that um, like I taught at Lululemon's a lot whenever I first started teaching because I was hungry to teach and I just wanted to get in front of people. And this is exactly what happens, and I 100% encourage this as you graduate your 200-hour teacher training or your 500-hour teacher training, teach teach everyone at first. <laughs> and that's going to tell you who you don't want to teach and who you do want to teach. And so um, this is the, probably one of the first times that really consciously I've started to select studios in that way because of the experience that I've had in the past. And um, I also wanted to tell you the story that I'm not, um, I'm not a regular kundalini practitioner, and definitely at this point in my life um, that this class happened, I was not uh, at all, like, a very opposed to kundalini. Um, <laughs> and I went uh, to our, um, you know, I'm, I'm first week living in our small town, and I was like, I'm going to go to a class. And... Uh, I walked into the studio, and I'm the first person there, because I'm like, I'm keener, I'm there early, you know, I'm the student that teachers dislike, <laughs> and um, I, I go to sit down, and I see the teacher, and she's wearing a turban, and I was like, fuck, I like, I made sure that this was a half a class, and not a kundalini class, what is going on here, and I was like, I can't leave, because I'm the first person here, and I'm gonna, like, just kidding, <laughs> like, came to the wrong class, and never come back. No, I was like, you got to stick this out. This is for a reason. You just got to be here. <laughs> and um, I did that yoga class, and I was, you know, it was, it, I had only done a couple of kundalini classes before that, and I said to myself, like, okay, you just got to be open to this experience. Like, whatever happens in the class, and some of my past experiences were, like, pretty wild and crazy. Whatever happens in the class is going to happen in the class. I got through the class in Shavasana, I had the most vivid vision of a yoga studio, and not until we opened the doors of our yoga studio, like a year and some later, was I reminded that that was the exact vision that I had. 
my gosh. So that's why I'm like, go to pl- go to places that don't pay you, <laughs> like, and then know your value from there. Go to clients that totally suck, like private clients. Like I had this client one time that I said, hey, "My love, I'm, you know what? We're just not aligning. I'm gonna, I'm gonna quit her as a, as a, a student." She just like she doesn't want to do anything. She doesn't really want me to teach her. I'm here to teach. I don't know what the heck is going on. And my love was like, I'm gonna um, come with you to class. Like, drop me off at class to make sure that I went. <laughs> <laughs> and um, give it one more time. This is what she said. Give it one more time. I'm like, okay, whatever. But at the end of this class, I'm I'm quitting this client. And that class was. Um, like a mind-blowing class and there was breakdown and breakthrough and I was like oh this is why you are so resistant to everything that we've been doing mm-hmm. and now we can move forward like every time I'm like hmm, I don't want to do that something like this happens <laughs> so I think that brings us to kind of this idea of energetic exchange though because you know it can be I mean, one of the thoughts I've had lately about, you know, as I begin to create content for the new year and answering questions that I get in blog posts and podcast episodes is, what do you do when you feel like that? Like you feel like the client doesn't align or you feel some dread around wanting, you know, not wanting, but having to teach and things like that. And it brings us back to this idea of what we do is so energetically based, um, which in and of itself can seem really like esoteric, like what are we talking about? And so I would just love to hear some of your musings on on that overall. I mean, what is it that you teach teachers in your 200 hour about energy and how it applies to teaching and what we offer our students? Okay, um, so I, I'm gonna call, I'm gonna switch a little bit and I'm gonna call it source. This energy is source. And um, what, like, One of the first things that we do is uh, make a list of things that feed your source. So what like what fills you to the brim? And I even I say to them like yoga, throw that to the bottom of the list, because when you're a yoga teacher, like that's going to be your last thing you're going to be able to do probably. And so, what is it that really feeds your source in your everyday life? For me, it's like waking up in the morning um, and the way that we have our bedroom where sun can come in the, the light and just like be there with sunshine on my face and feel that warmth and just like hang out in bed for a little while, that feeds source for me. Being outside in nature, uh, going for a walk, um, you know, being in stillness and in, 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 in yet surrounded by, you know, the everything that's happening in the, in the, in the forest, all of those things. Um, being around my family, I have uh, an amazing family who are a little wild and crazy at times, and yet when I'm around them, I'm just like, there's like a direct gasoline line to, you know, full fuel. Um, so find ways that feed the source. And another one for me is driving. Um, so like if... If I'm going somewhere, so this exact example for this client of mine and my love saying that uh, she was going to come with me, normally she would drive and I was like, no, no, I'm going to drive. And having that concentration, almost like a meditation while driving, is 
a way to prepare myself for what's about to happen. If I, if you, if we, if everyone gets caught up in this, um, the dread, you're going to bring that to class. And I have to realize that there's a separation between my feelings and my emotions um, about the class and the needs of my student, and that I am there to serve the needs of my student. And it's not, it's not like, it's like pause, have that experience, unpause, reevaluate. Like feeding the source. Feel me? Yeah, and I actually, when you were saying driving and being in, like, in the morning in bed, I was like, same. Like, and I was trying to think of other ways in which I bring that intention into teaching and, you know, teach teach others how to explore that own dynamic because I think that is one of the things that differentiates what we do. And for right or for wrong, I mean, there's a lot of different notions wrapped up in like what a yoga teacher is and the yoga industry and money and all these types of, of conversations that we have. And so I think coming back to that idea of source and that expression of source in your own self helps you figure out almost like you're guiding your your navigation, like your area for, that you focus, how you're going to use that as your North Star to move towards what resonates and what works. And so eventually you get to a place where there's clarity around where you want to teach and clarity around how you can help people best and all those types of insights that we get from being really tapped in. Mm-hmm. And with this particular student as well, like after the class, um, I was just like, I can't believe that I was so ego-centered to think like that this was all about me. <laughs> <laughs> and it had absolutely nothing to do with me. I was like, "Oh, aren't I special?" <laughs> and That's then coming back, a reminder and... though. I like. I think yeah. we all need to hear that sometimes. I mean, I, I don't talk about it a lot. But in the beginning of me teaching private lessons, I was so inside my own brain. Like those pauses of quiet when somebody's in a pose, and you're just like, I didn't know what to do with my body. And like, I'm just standing here while they're doing yoga. Like it was just all this kinds of internal dialogue and it really wasn't about me it was about just working on holding the space and being of value and I would get these affirmations from clients like this was great or that was great and then I'm like having to check myself like this isn't about what you think of what you're offering it's about what they're receiving that's huge yeah and this client would even like travel to like travel an hour to come see me, like to come to the studio and stuff. And I was just like, I just at first I'm like, I don't get it. I just don't get it. Nothing. And then I was just like, Oh yeah, thanks for that slap in the face, universe. I hear you. <laughs> Checked. Uh, and it also like part of the you know for tools for this you know. One of the things that I, as you were talking, I'm like, what do I do for regular public classes as well? Like, how do I, you know, whenever you have somebody that comes to class that um, just throws you off, and I always pose this this um, question to my trainees is like, um, think about the the person that broke your heart the hardest, and now imagine them in your yoga class, mm-hmm. and you have to teach them. They're there to learn. What do you do? You know? And and you know, as much as I I think like for me it would be like if my dad came to yoga class and I would just like 
<laughs> it would be just like a clown shoes event, you know? So like how do I keep um, him or like we have friends and family that come to classes or, or friends and family ask us to teach them private yoga and it's just, just this like zoomed in one-on-one. -on -one. There's no getting away from that dialogue sometimes. There's no getting away from the, the awkwardness of dynamic of like you're now the teacher and they're now the student. And then you press, you know, unpause on that and after the class and you can like go for a beer or whatever, you know, I don't know, whatever. Whatever you do with your private clients afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and kind of figuring that out and I was like, what do I do in those situations? And I just, um, Amy Apolity has this term that's called vesselifying. And it's just like, you just have to vesselify. You just have to be open to that experience and a constant reminder of when that dialogue comes in, like, okay, this is part of the process what's next, what's next, like what's next. Um, and another thing that I do is in public classes, I walk around the room before people get there or as people are getting in, almost like finding that energetic boundary on the ends of the classes mm -hmm. so that I, I know what the container needs to be. And for me, it's just like, you know, silent walk around, put my music down, you know, I bring a, a little puja with me, so you know, set up my my singing bowl and the crystals or whatever, you know, and then and then I'm like, okay, I'm good. Do you think that these concepts tie into this idea of leading from your heart when you're teaching? Um, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> yes. Tell us a little bit more about this concept that you, I know this is central to your teaching and this is a big part of what you're teaching other teachers as well. So tell us a little bit about what it means for you to teach from your heart, but then also how you see this becoming almost an exercise and personal discovery for us as teachers that are listening. Okay. So uh, leading from your heart to me really means that you step into the role of being a leader in the classroom. And one of the ways that I see, uh, you know, in teaching by opposites, one of the ways that we give up our leadership or even our power is that we'll say things like, um, according to my teacher. Mm. I'm like, what is that? And that is stepping outside of the teaching because we're we're too afraid to be in that teaching and to be that teacher at that moment. And so we'll be like, okay, so according to my teacher, you know, Hanuman was a X, Y, and Z. Instead of saying, you know what? Hanuman is this amazing person that was a really good friend and, and then tell your story of, of Hanuman and how that relates to your life. And like that is such a, a little like snippet and, and very simple way that we step away, like just to the side, the very side of being a leader. And then leading from your heart means a couple of things. It means that you've got to dig into the depths of what it is and who you are as a teacher at your core. So at your core, if you're a humorous teacher, I had this, I had this, um, mentee that came to me and she said, you know, I don't know about this whole mentor-mentee thing. The last mentor I had told me I couldn't crack jokes. I was like, are you a funny person? Do you love cracking jokes? And she was like, yes. I'm like, then crack jokes. Because if that's who you are, if you're trying to be this serious yogi and you're not a serious yogi, that's going to show up 
like forefront in your teaching. Mm -hmm. And so it's in your heart to have a lighthearted um, class, then have a lighthearted yoga class because the people that need that are going to come to your class. The serious yogis who want nothing but like chanting and mantra and, and all seriousness, which you can have fun with those things, don't get me wrong, they're going to go to that teacher. You're just not their teacher potentially. And so um, what we're trying, I think this is what we do, is we leave our teacher training and then we go like, okay, we're a yoga teacher. Somebody hire me. <laughs> and instead, I'm ready to teach. <laughs> yeah, give me a job. And instead, um, and, and instead of doing the work of like figuring out who you are as a yoga teacher, you just like power through a bunch of classes and then wonder why like nobody's coming to class or or there's you know there's not that positive affirmation at the end of the class or your your class gets kicked off the schedule oof that's a diss um, so like what is it what's the the hard work that you need to do to really be able to lead from that place and we we are petrified and I always come back to this um, Marianne Williamson uh, qu uh, quote of of which is not direct, but like we're not afraid of we're not afraid of these mistakes. We're we are solely afraid of the power that we have, and I want um, more teachers to step into that power to become leaders in the community. It sounds like as we're talking about it, you know, it like the biggest piece of this is that word power and stepping stepping into your role and in owning really the experience that you can present, but that's vulnerable for so many people to do. Do you think that it's just one of those things that the more we practice, like our yoga practice, the more we do, 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 then the more, you know, we find our unique flow, or do you have any specific tips that help people start to like crack that open so that they can show up fully because this requires us to know ourselves, not just ourselves as teachers. I think that's mm -hmm. the hard part. Mm -hmm. I agree. I totally agree. It is so, it's like, it's so fucking scary. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is so scary. Um, I, I got a piece of advice from my teacher one time and he told me, lose your cool card. And I was like, whatever. Like, don't <laughs> and then I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, that's what you're talking about. And I, I seriously, I had that pep talk with myself so many times. This isn't something that like, okay, we lead from our heart and then we're like good to go. We're like, oh, that box is checked. Awesome. Mm -hmm. What's the next? What's the next phase of teaching? You know, levitation and guruji. <laughs> you know, I don't know. And so I think that um, this is a constant evolution. And and I, you know, coming back to this is a. Uh, coming back to even the idea of like being able to look at who I want to teach for or what I want to teach because um, you know public classes are not going to be my primary and yet I can you know we have the ability to go out and teach a you know a slew of public classes but if that's not what drives me that might be what what helps drive my business to give me exposure to students that I then want to teach in a workshop environment that's part of it that's like okay that's you know part of your marketing plan or whatever but if that's not what drives me, I we we fall into, and I say we as in me, and I see so many other people, we fall into this, well, you know, teaching public classes are the easiest way to be teaching. Mm -hmm. Teaching private yoga is hard. Mm -hmm. Getting private clients is hard and or, you know, challenging. And um, we like to take the easy route. I, 
but there needs to be a little like there needs to be that like sense of duke, that sense of like bumpiness in the road for us to be able to learn uh, more about ourselves. So to come back to like, is there anything, um, uh, any tools? There's a tool. I call this <laughs> the post mortem <laughs> after your yoga class, and. Um, not to be confused with the postpartum, which I have called it before in the past. <laughs> but the postpartum yoga class is uh, a couple of questions. One, uh, what did I do? What did I teach? Or what, what happened in class that was really amazing? Because we are so good at going like, oh, well, that was shit. Mm -hmm. And I can't, like, what was that person doing with their foot behind their head when we were standing in Tadasana or whatever? You know? <laughs> That's never happened it, to any of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you a quick question. And part of this, I, part of this comes from uh, as we were chit chatting. I was thinking to myself, all of the like mortifying things that have happened to me as a yoga teacher. Mm -hmm. And I, I taught this full class. It was a small studio. I think there was 15 people there. And um, this this studio had a stage. I'll come back to postmortem in a second though. On a, at a stage and. It was a hot summer day. It was in Vancouver, and um, there was this woman who got there super early all the time, all the time and she always sat in the very front row. And um, I go to teach, and I uh, often walk around the room whenever I teach. And so I got off the podium or whatever the stage, and I started to walk around the room. And the first pose I put people in was um, forward fold or uttanasana, and I look up at the front of the room and this lady is in her underwear. She has taken her pants off. <laughs> what, what, I don't even know what I would do. What what did what so what happened? You look it's like a cliffhanger. Dun 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 <laughs> I'm like first I had to come back myself. I was like, where the fuck are her pants? <laughs> How did, the, how did she Houdini her pants off from the moment she got into class to, like, this first pose? And then I was like, oh, yeah, we're in a pose. And I was like, okay, everybody, the challenge for today's class is to practice with your eyes closed. I was like, you got to think on your toes, man. Yeah, you, ha you totally do. I mean, you have to. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the harder parts about what I try to convey with planning is that I think that, and, it, you know, we might have a different kind of concept around this or different school of thought around this, but I think that plans for me are the tool to freedom. And what I mean by that is, is that if you have an idea of what you're going to do because you've, you've explored different options, you've studied different components of sequencing and anatomy and all that kind of stuff and the format of the class, then that is what frees you up then to be spontaneous and be like, okay, I was going to do this next, but this lady in the front of the row is in her underwear, so I'm going to adjust this because I know where I'm going and so I know how to change variables within the subset without having it all go, you know, nuts. Yeah. So, and I think, I think I struggle with communicating that as well as I can for the private yoga teacher community because I think people hear me say like plan, 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 whereas the, you know, the freedom of a really experienced and gifted teacher is that eventually you can go off of that plan. Like, and I was thinking about this yeah. yesterday while I was teaching a private client that that day, you know, I had a couple of things in mind, but I showed up and really we free formed based on what I was observing in her body. And that's completely against what I tell people to do. <laughs> But I think that's where it comes from, is that you think on your toes 
but you can do that so skilled and skillfully when you have a solid foundation as your base. Totally. I'm so with you, and, and that's something that I struggle with telling my students in teacher training is that often, um, you know, we're planning in the class, and the class is planned, you know, okay, this is how you sequence your class, so this is how you're going to sequence your this class, and, um, you know, put in your poses or whatever, and then, and then be like, now drop the script, drop the class plan, and teach what you can remember from that, mm-hmm. teach what you are responding to in the classes. And that's part of the, that's part of the, and, and total chaos ensues, I'll just tell the truth, and, and there's <laughs> a lot of like, yeah, but you made us make this plan. I'm like, exactly, because I want you to, ha- I want you to do that work, but I also want you to be able to open your eyes and respond to what's happening in the classroom, and that's exactly it. When it comes to, and I know we still have to go back to postmortem, but my my thought around this is, do you think that one of the things I'm curious about is if you're a fan of yoga teacher or yoga instructor as the terminology. And we talk about a teacher training and we talk about teaching, um, but what do you see as the difference between the two? And what do you what do you refer to yourself as? I mean, I just saw a blog post. I was going to ask you this question since we've been planning this for a while, for a month, but I saw a blog post today from um, Jay Brown, which I'll link to in the show notes about, I kind of just skimmed it, but the gist is, is that people are starting to call themselves things besides yoga teachers, and they're doing it because they feel like they're either, you know, kind of pissed off at the way that yoga is going, where they feel like people are really unqualified, and they're jumping into the yoga teaching realm, and they're seasoned teachers, and they feel like what they're doing is, has more of a science, or a finesse, or whatever behind it. Um, or the other category is people who feel like they're teaching, you know, functional movement or things that are, you know, range of motion, um, things that are kind of beyond just quote unquote yoga poses. So it's a curious question. Um, what are your thoughts around that? I wrote a blog on this as well. You did? I did. I'm going to link to that uh, too then. Go. Um, and I have I have friction between yoga teacher and yoga instructor, and my friction is on the instructor side. I am not an instructor. An instructor to me is um, this is okay. The visual that popped into my head is like terry cloth headband, high cut um, bodysuit, leg warmers, and one of those steps in the like '90s. I totally stepped so much. Might have been in the '80s though. <laughs> Um, that is an instructor to me. That is somebody who's instructing me to do things. Um, I am a yoga teacher because I'm teaching you how to move your body. And I'm teaching you about the practice of yoga. And I'm teaching you truly about yourself as we start to move forward. And so um, I ha- <laughs> part of this blog post came up because I was at, teaching in a studio and doing, I think, a training or something at the studio, and they were like, yoga instructor. I was like, no, take it down. <laughs> I'm not an instructor, and that's the big difference for me. I also love functional movement, and I may adopt functional movement in the near future. Um, but I also think this about teaching. After I gave that kind of that frictiony dynamic between instructor and teacher, um, you, you'll notice a difference when you start to see this. If you go to a class and you're like, oh, that's a yoga instructor, and oh, that was a yoga teacher. Mm-hmm. And it's two very different feelings when you exit the class. Um, but I also think that yoga teacher is such a great universal 
word, and it's I think about this, like, I don't know a lot about engineering. So if, if I meet somebody and they're like, hey, I'm, I'm an engineer, I'm like, oh, that's cool. It doesn't mean a lot to me. But if I then ask them questions about what the, you know, what their job entails or what their life's work is, that's where the like gold lies. So I think that we get a little, um, and me included, caught up in this like, I'm not a yoga instructor, or I'm not, you know, a yoga teacher is being watered down. Yeah, it's been thousands of yoga teachers, but who you are is going to shine that yoga teacher light. That's going to be where the where the beam comes from. Um, and if you, part of the, I'm going to put this in quotations, part of that work is to be able to express that to people. And that is hard to express. Mm -hmm. What is close to your heart is like, think about like why, you know, you love someone. We can say lots of physical attributes. We'd be like, well, they're, you know, they're cute. You know, they cook a really great dinner. You know, they don't snore too loud. I don't know. Like, <laughs> um, but like, if you're like, ah, you know what? I love them because when I am in the same room of, as them, or not even before they even enter the room, I have a spark that gets light up, lit up in my heart that I'm like, oh, my love is in the room, or my love is close. That's why I love them because they light me up. We think of all these other physical things, and I think that's what's happening with, like, we're taking ourselves too seriously or something. I don't know. I like to take myself seriously, so that's why I say that. Yeah, well, I think, but I think, too, like, if we, I get it. Like, I get both sides of that. I get the idea of deepening, you know, I, I, I agree with the teacher versus instructor thing, and I fall, I'm, I'm the same, that's my same thought. As far as going away from the word yoga, my concern with that is, is that, if we're afraid of associating ourselves with some of the stereotypes that have risen up in the yoga industry, and Jay Brown talks about like sexualized images and mm -hmm. more of this fitness workout mentality, um, which are both valid concerns about our industry and important conversational topics for us to be exploring and unpacking and having dialogue around. But if we move away from calling ourselves that, then are we giving over this thing that we love and that we share, are we, you know, are we not taking responsibility for the direction of where yoga is going, if that makes sense? And that's why I find myself still calling it what it is, which I teach yoga, and that's why. Because <laughs> yeah. I feel like we are obligated, even if it looks different, which Jay talks about, like what he teaches looks different than what a lot of people think about now as, you know, quote-unquote modern yoga. Um and I think this comes up so much with private yoga because people's definition of yoga is what they're seeing that's more mainstream. So people in, you know, tight leggings practicing yoga in a group setting in, you know, maybe even a hot studio setting. And that's what it looks like. And private yoga is different than that. And so part of our work then needs to be to educate people around what we do and why we do it and why it's beneficial and what that has to do with them and where they can get value from it and what those benefits are for them and for their life. I totally agree. And I think part of the, the problem with this is that if we're going to water it down or we're going to call it so many different things, um, we're going to lose part of the teaching understanding as a whole. And I think it's really like, you know, um, I'm going to read his article after we hop off, and, and I think part of the what I'm getting from this is that if we're going to say, you know, with 
with what's happening with yoga teachers, you know, putting um, you know sexualized images or or you know you know scandals or money laundering or any number or people stealing teach any number of those things. If we're going to let that um, kind of bring the vibration of what a yoga teacher is down, that would be like saying there's one terrible rotten apple in this bag of apples. This whole bag of apples needs to be thrown out, mm-hmm. and we can no longer call them that. We or we call, yeah, them we call them oranges. That's true. I agree, and I think that's a great analogy. And I think that, like with the modern influx of ideas around yoga that means that there's benefit to that that means that some of these ancient teachings can now be distilled down to you know concepts that are applicable to modern people and that's a gift in and of itself but it also means that we have some struggles along the way that we all need to rise up to and have more dialogue around yeah we're, we're afraid of those struggles like we're like oh, no, yoga teachers are, like, they're amazing, and there's no breakdown, and nobody has mental illness, and nobody ever goes broke, and nobody ever smokes weed or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, all of that exists right. within that room. And yet, we, the more we try to um, cover that up, the more it's just going to, like, it's going to explode. The cat is going to get out of the bag, and it's going to run yelling through the streets, you the know? Ba- the bad and, apple is going to get out of the, ba- the apple yeah. bag. <laughs> And it's going to become a monster and it's going to take over the world. I don't know, you know. And I think that we just need to be like, whoa, like, yeah, you know, mental illness is a a big thing that's coming up right now. Like, yeah, Frank, man, mental illness still exists among yoga teachers. Right. Uh, You know, addiction still exists amongst yoga teachers. Like, we are not, we are not, not above having these things. They are still, we are still human beings and we're still part of this process and it's still part of our teaching. And it's still part of the, the learning, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it brings it back to, you know, we, I think that whole the word teacher allows us to be human instead of just moving people through the motions. I mean, I think that mm-hmm. there's this, this dichotomy of being professional, showing up, holding space, energy. And then there's this other part of doing all those things with, with your own, you know, rawness to it because we're human and maintaining that professionalism, but still being able to share when it's ready and, you know, bringing that to the table as well. Because I think our greatest difficulties become the tools from which we are able to teach from and share and really identify with our students with. And that's a huge, you know, that's a huge gift. And it's also a huge way for us to feel free from like some of those shackles of vulnerability, like feeling like we can't share that because it's not appropriate or whatever the case is, we can start to break through some of that and let some of that come through. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like, that is the essence of like leading from your heart. That is the essence of being a vulnerable and a raw and a real teacher. And what happens in those moments is that your students go like, whoa, yeah. this is somebody who I want to learn from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So from here, I would love to close out with any closing thoughts you have or any little tidbits you want to leave with us and certainly to hear a little bit more about where all of the listeners can find you, what you have going on in the online space and also what you're doing in your part of the world. So tell us a little bit about that. Okay. Um, Before I forget, I want to close out with our our post-mortem. Shame on I almost forgot. <laughs> what a cliffhanger yeah. that would be. <laughs> Episode two. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, 
part of the process is to remember the lady in underwear story. Yes. Um, <laughs> Um, okay, so uh, after class, and I create a template. I am all about like procedure and um, systems and, and whatnot, and and all about not having to be too tied to these things. And this is going to be one of the greatest personal development teachers about your teaching um, that you can use, in my opinion, is this postmortem. So first things first, what did you do well? What is the first thing um, that comes to mind when you're like, yeah, that totally rocked? And that gives you, that to do that, you have to separate the negative, potential negative um, dialogue that you have about that class, if this is one of those. The next thing is um, what sucked. What totally, what, what did you bomb on? And to be able to own that. Be like, okay, you know what? Um, I totally forgot one side, or I said something in class that was absolutely ridiculous. I don't know, you know, or I tried to explain this pose, and my students just were not picking up on what I said. So um, that sucked. And then the final piece is, what are you going to do to move forward? Like, how can you use this to move forward? So for your um, place that sucked if you were, if it was a pose, like, okay, I'm going to practice the pose myself as much as I can to my fullest capacity. I'm going to um, dive a little deeper into instruction of it, where I went wrong, uh, maybe practice with a friend, <clears throat> and, um, I don't know, master the Sanskrit name for it, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and part of your, your goodness could be like, oh, I really loved that sequence. I want to move that forward and teach it in this class, which might be a totally different class. Like, you taught a power class, and that sequence really worked. How would I teach that to a gentle mm -hmm. class or in a restorative setting, you know, um, so that you have that reflection? And after every class, do this exercise. And if you go back and look through um, your last you know, a few weeks of teaching, this is going to teach you, like, A, it's going to give you that how far you've come perspective. It might give you some really hilarious reminders of things that happened in class. <laughs> um, and it's also going to allow for you to be like, okay, um, to not dwell on the, on the dialogue of, like, you know, that was sucked and I can never be a yoga teacher again and how will I show my face in that studio? I don't know, you know? any number of things that go on in our head. So that's your postmortem. That's great. I, you know, I think that leading with the good instead of, you know, because I, I think, like, there's, like, that post-teaching hangover sometimes that we have, like, we come out and we're, like, either we feel like we're on top of the world, like, it just landed and everybody resonated, or we're, like, oh, that didn't go how, like, you know, things that come up, like, if somebody is says something or, you know, even these little things that happen in the beginning, like somebody um, will say, I can't hear you in a group class. And you're like, like you would get embarrassed. Like you're like, oh, and like, you know, things like that. So I think that works great. I think that's a great practice to have. And it's also a great reflection practice. You know, what is it that you want to be bringing forth and how can you continue and continue and continue to evolve your teaching and your ability to reach people. It's fantastic. I will outline the steps for that in our show notes as well, because I have a feeling that a lot of people who are listening are going to want to adopt that. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, and what I'm doing right now, um, I'm like, I'm super excited about working with uh, some yoga teachers one-on-one. -on -one. Um, 
I am really excited about these urban retreats that I've been hosting that are like a little oasis in the city and trying to figure out a way that we can bring that to an online experience that in the in the setting up like the comfort of your own home. And um, I'm, I'm, you know what, I'm, I'm super jazzed about those two things right now. And essential oils. We talked about this before. I'm just loving them. I'm loving them in my classes. I'm loving them in my life. I'm loving them in, in everything right now. Great. It's like a, I know on your website you have it as plant-based medicine, which I love. Yeah. I love that yeah. descriptor for that. That's great. Awesome. Well, I will link up to all of the things that you are working on and some of those blog posts that you mentioned that will be really valuable for the listeners. And I know that you and I will keep our conversation going. I know that there's many more conversations around this episode. And so we will continue that over in the Private Yoga Teacher Facebook group, which you can find at kateconnellpotts.com forward slash community. And um, Ellie also has a Facebook group that I will link to, which is another great little virtual hangout place that you can spend some time asking some heart-led questions, some teaching technical questions, and everything beyond. I actually was reading it earlier, and I got a kick out of, um, I forget what it was now, but one of your rules in the group would just cracked me up. So as you go in there, read the rules, and um, I think it was like no drama from your mama, or is that right? Was that what it was? Yeah, keep the drama for your mama. Yeah, so when you go to her group, and I mean mine too, keep the drama for your mama. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Thanks so much, Kate. It's so funny. Well, thank you so much for joining us and for cracking open some of these topics with me. I know that everybody is, um, you know, these are things that are on the top of our mind. And so I think that there'll be some value from these questions and we'll be happy to answer any follow-up questions and keep this conversation going. Thank you so much, Ellie, for joining us. Well, thank you. And thanks for everybody listening. Namaste.